HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins. I work for Fairway Markets in the New York area, and we're awfully proud to support Heritage Radio, and we care so much about everything that goes on out here at Roberta's in their studio because they talk to people who are, are serious about food, and that's what we are at Fairway, is we're serious about food. We, we just care very deeply about, about you as a, as a customer and how you cook and what you cook with and how you entertain, and, and that's why we love to support Heritage Radio, because it, it, it's pretty much the same thing. It's wanting to, to find happiness through serious food and people who are serious about it, and and care about learning everything there is to learn about it. And that's, that's, we're kindred spirits. If it's something worth having in your kitchen, you're going to find it at, at Fairway. And if there's somebody worth talking to about food, you're going to find them on Heritage Radio, and we will be supporting you guys for a long, long time. At Fairway, I'm your personal grocer, Steve Jenkins, Fairway Market. Boys are mellow as a honeydew. Yeah, that cat is high. Look that look in his eye. Oh man, he's high. Yes, higher than a kite. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. Today in the studio, uh, this is the third time that we've had Frank Cisneros in the studio at the Speakeasy. Welcome up, back. Guys? Thanks. Great to be on. Um, you're a very, very busy dude, as always. And, Likewise. Yeah, totally. Um, but now you're even busier. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, your newest uh, outpost, the Bourgeois Pig in Brooklyn, in Carroll Gardens. That's right. Not far from uh, where we used to uh, tend to buy together. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I mean, we might as well just jump right into this. Jesus, you've got, you've got the drink. You're still working at Dram. Um now the bourgeois pig, yeah, and a, a little bit about the bourgeois pig in the city. It's been around for quite some time. Yeah, I think uh, seven seven plus years, almost yeah. eight years. It's in the opening credits of Saturday Night Live. I just found that out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the thing about the bourgeois pig is that it is 
It's definitely like a cocktail bar and restaurant, but it's only beer and wine. There's no spirits. Yeah, exactly. It, what happened was uh, when they when they started it, my partner Ravi is his first bar. Um, he it actually started out as kind of being like a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And then they started doing coffee cocktails. This is like eight years ago. So this is like crazy stuff for back then. Yeah. And then they started doing um, and they started doing a beer and wine, but they could only get a beer and wine license since they're like immediately next to a church. So having oh, a, right, 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 having yeah. a full on like spirits license wasn't really in the cards for them. So then they started experiment a lot, and some really really amazing bartenders have been through there. Uh, Katie Stipe and Phil Ward did the original program there, so they're you know obviously extremely talented people. So. When I started working with Ravi, um, in the meantime, while we were waiting for, while, while we've been waiting for the Bourgeois Pig Brooklyn to open, I went over there to do their uh, their fall winter cocktail menu. Completely re- revamped. It had been quite a while since anyone had had paid attention to the menu, and it was extremely challenging because it's beer and wine only. I mean, you and I come from like this like cocktail background. Where, super boozy. Yeah, <laughs> super boozy. Um, I mean, that's what we know. We know like spiritist cocktails. So uh, not being able to rely on the proof of you know, 40% alcohol or more was really, really challenging, but really enlightening too. So with that being said, I mean, you're using what you can legally use. I mean, you've got obviously wine and beer, but then you have like vermouth, um, sherry, sherry and yeah. port and, and Madeira, um, different kinds of things. Like uh, obviously there's certain other spirits that can be involved, exactly. Like it's Aperol. really it's really funny and really tricky. I mean, in New York State, the law says that you can use anything that has a wine base up to a certain percentage. So it's really interesting. The first thing I did is kind of like an artist sets out like his his palette of all your different paints. I researched everything I could use. It's like okay, all right, this is what I've got. What can I make out of this? Like knowing that I don't have rum, I don't have whiskey, I don't have gin. I can't use the stuff that we're like used to using. So, um, yeah, sherry became indispensable, especially Fino sherry, because Fino sherry has relatively high proof with like a relatively strong alcohol flavor and then also being relatively neutral. So you can that functions as a nice base to be able to add other things to. But it's really funny because you can use something like um, Zucca and Cardamaro are allowable, but Chinar is not, even though Chinar is 16 percent. Right. Right. Because there's no wine base. It's like. It's really convoluted and doesn't make a whole lot of sense as to how it works. But uh, what wound up happening, we, we made 32 cocktails for it. My partner, Seth Tabor, helped me on that. He's an old old friend of mine. You know Seth. Seth yeah. yeah. John I've Dory. got some pictures of you guys together from Tales of the Cocktail. Yeah. Yeah. They should be destroyed. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm working on that. My iPhone is completely cracked up right now. So good, good. <laughs> we're, we're almost there. Um, You're almost safe. Thank God. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we... Um, we we wound up making 32 cocktails for the list, and it turned out probably about 24 of them or so have some form of sherry in it or, or some sherry or another. Um, one of the really cool things that we tried to do was uh, one of the things that we realized is proof is so important in cocktails. We all know that. You know, there's, sure. there's, the, there's the aspects of cocktails we all know are important, like, you know, the... Um, the flavors, obviously, <laughs> yeah. but there's the, there's the things that people forget about, like the water content, the temperature, the, the yeah. proof. All these things are so important to a cocktail, and you forget how important they are until you, they, that stuff gets taken away from you. And you, you realize you can over-dilute things really, really quickly. So one thing that we, we wound up doing is we wanted to make something um, dark and stormy-esque. So we used like a Pedro Jimenez sherry, um, ginger syrup, uh, lime, and we realized you can't just add soda water to a sherry-based cocktail. A lot of times it just becomes overly diluted, 
flabby. It just washes out entirely. So in order to carbonate it, we charged the whole cocktail. We put it in a soda siphon, charged the entire thing. That's interesting. There's a lot of... Um, there was a, uh, a little bit in uh, Bon Appetit at, uh, very recently about... Uh, it was actually at the uh, the PDT cocktail book release party. Um, they were talking about... Uh, well, they, they went around and asked a lot of the bartenders like, what they're into and what they're like over. And carbonated cocktails carbonated cocktails came up a lot i i said i was gonna start using mud but maybe i'd had too too many drinks that night um but but i think uh carbonating uh carbonating anything especially like with your your vermouths especially something like pretty pretty rich and thick like your like carpano antica that kind of stuff it's a really interesting idea and that was a great that was a great idea on your part um are you finding that like i know like back in the day you and I used to uh, come up with different like descriptors for like spirits or wine, and yeah. and your your whole thing was uh, using the different uh, settings on a synthesizer. On a synth- <laughs> so one of those being the attack, an oscillation, an oscillation, yeah. <laughs> so one of them was being the attack, and I, I use that term a lot with cocktails, you know. And obviously, the attack would be more of like your proof and your spice. So it's you're, true. yeah, you're, that's the that's the thing that hits you first. You're trying to you're trying to like create with what you have that has little attack, little proof and make that happen. What are some of the ways that you've done this? I mean, obviously you just said you did uh, ginger, you did like a darker stormy, which obviously has some attack to it. Um, I've been carbonating, but uh, what were some of the other ways? One of the things that we found out when you're working with wine or beer cocktails is to dial back the sugar, which is tough to do in some ways because Mm. I think sugar to a bartender is like salt to a chef. And just like home cooks always make the mistake of not salting their their dishes enough, um, I think home bartenders all, often, you know, the whole not too sweet thing, everyone is really afraid of things being too sweet. And I totally get that. But we, sugar... We're going to have to talk about that yeah, that's a in whole, a little bit. That's yeah. a whole thing. But uh, I mean, sugar, you have to remember that sugar acts as a flavor enhancer. So mm-hmm. it takes the other flavors that are inherent in whatever you've got, like be it ginger or mint or whatever, and it drives them forward. Mm-hmm. It, it expresses them further on someone's palate. So it's an essential ingredient. But also what winds up happening is when you're working with things like sherries and you're working with things that don't have a lot of proof, any amount of sugar will tend to mask that, what little proof it does have, so you have to dial it back. So instead, we rely on the sweetness inherent in the sherry or the sweetness inherent in the vermouth. We let that sure. kind of speak and then give it something else. Like I'm used to making like a two-to-one ginger syrup, for instance. may not work in every single wine and beer cocktail circumstance. Mm-hmm. Might do a one one or something like that. Yeah, totally. I mean, and what you know, a lot of people don't realize, or maybe they do, is you know, sugar is essential for any alcohol. You know, it's like yeah, it's part you, of it. It's part of it. That's <laughs> yeah. that's what it is. It, like you throw some yeast in there, and then it converts the sugars to alcohol. That's what it is. But with like what you're saying with like wines, sherries. You've got more residual sugar, yeah, than more, more than a spirit, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, so you have to rely on that inherently more, more so than you wouldn't with a, with a cocktail. Yeah. Um, so, some of the uh, I, I want to talk about the uh, the uh, the sweetness in cocktails, and people say not too <laughs> oh, sweet. God, how I many? Mean, <laughs> how many? T- I got to ask you a question. How many times a night do you hear that? Like when someone's like, "Can I get this?" But like, uh, not too sweet. Not too sweet. Uh, quite Can a I get bit. a bartender's choice uh, with vodka? Not too sweet. It's like okay, cool, yeah, vodka rocks. Thirty times a night, at least. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. But I mean, like, do you think that that's because it's the customer's palate that is? 
actually it, like the customer being into something that is drier or if, if it's because of the fact that so many bars for you know even in our lifetimes you know it's like yes. going to bars but yeah. it's always like all these drinks they always come out so sweet because that's just like old school like that's a product of like post-prohibition exactly like, i think it's a hundred percent the latter it's a it's a product of, of post-world war ii america like consumerism like everything came out of a gun everything was margarita mix yeah. or sour mix it was just predetermined sweetness and of course all of us have experienced that like yeah. the vast majority of bars out there make drinks that are too sweet so it's it's absolutely okay I mean, it's not okay, but it makes sense where that comes from. But uh, it's the same thing as going into into a restaurant, and you wouldn't say, like, you know, can I get the spatzel, but, like, not too salty. Sure. Like, <laughs> you're, you're going to trust that the chef is salting it appropriately. Exactly. Like, every drink that we make is going to have the appropriate sweetness. We would like to think that we don't put anything that's too much of anything, let alone sweet. Which brings me to uh, my question for you now. When people say not too sweet... Do you alter your recipe, or do you just make it the way you normally do? I make it the way I normally do. Exactly. Uh, it, it, especially if it's if it's a either a classic cocktail or a cocktail that's on our menu, it's been calibrated to not be too much of anything, not too acidic, not too sweet, not too spicy, not too bitter. It's already not too of anything. It's balanced, so I'm not going to touch it. Exactly. Let's talk about this real quick, too. I mean, especially with a 32 uh, wine and beer-focused cocktail menu at the new... The, the, the old new, one. The, new, the old one. The old bourgeois pig, new menu. Yeah. Yeah, new menu at the old bourgeois pig. Um, it's like, I don't think also that a lot of people realize that for that to, for all those cocktails to be on that menu, there's a process that's involved. It's not like you just yeah. came up with a bunch of ideas, printed them up, and put them on the months. bar. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There's a whole process. Um, you get your bartenders together, they submit their cocktail ideas. Yeah. Then that goes through another round of submittal. Like you have to taste through them, alter them. There's a lot yeah. that goes on before a drink, a recipe hits the menu. With that particular menu, actually, we we didn't uh, we did all of them ourselves. So there was no no submissions from from other bartenders. It was completely just uh, Seth and myself. And um, what we wound up doing was, like I said, first step was figure out the palette. Like figure out like what can we use. Like what are what are our paints that are available to us? Yeah. So laid all those out. We bought like one of everything basically, and we set up a test bar, like a test kitchen in uh, Jane Sweet Buns, like my girlfriend's bakery, which isn't really a bar, but like we just brought in everything. We brought in jiggers, glassware, ice, juices, syrups, uh, all the different vermouths and sherries and wines and beers that we had available to us, and we just went to town. But it took a long, long time. I think one thing I like to always tell people is that. A great cocktail is the process of 50 bad ones. Like, yeah. it's 50 failures make one good one. Like, you, you try it and you're Maybe like, Maybe okay. for you, dude. Yeah. I, I nail it every time. Yeah, every time, first time. <laughs> I mean, I, I, think, I think with the first one, we always get it close. We're always like, okay, cool. This is in the right direction. From the first drink that we make, we can go like, okay, this, is, this has potential or this is absolutely doesn't have potential. Let's skip it and go to something else. So if it, if it has potential, then it becomes like this perpetual dichotomy this split and split and split and split like okay let's try it this way let's do it with half an ounce let's do it with a quarter ounce let's add a dash of absence let's, like add, let's quarter, do it. quarter teaspoon yeah or just, as opposed to a bar spoon you yeah, keep yeah. going like over and over and over until you find like just the perfect balance which again goes back to the not too sweet thing if, if we went through that much process for one i can guarantee you that it's not too sweet yeah exactly exactly um so let's take a quick break 
And then when we come back, I want to talk about some more of the. Uh, I, I want to get into uh, like some of the like syrups and different spices and stuff that yeah. you use to like as far as modifiers go for these cocktails. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about the new, the new bar. Sweet. All right, we'll be right back. And we are back. We've been speaking with Frank Cisneros of The Drink and The New Bourgeois Pig in Brooklyn. Yeah. We've been talking about wine and beer cocktails. Now we're going to move right into the new place. And I want to talk about a little bit. Let's, but before we do, let's, let's talk about like some of the, uh, like the different like, syrups and yeah. the process of modifying and pairing some of these different spices and creating that attack. Absolutely. Like, what were some of your ideas for the, uh, the? So you were talking about spice, essential element, especially when you're um, when you're relying on on less proof. And when I say spice, I don't mean like habanero spice. You know, we're talking like cinnamon, allspice, tea spices. Sure. And so going into tea, we relied a lot on tea syrups. Um, easiest thing in the world to make. Everyone always thinks they're like really difficult, but like it's the best thing ever. Um, one of the drinks that actually carried over to the new menu. Uh, at the new bourgeois pig, it's the only drink that we carried over from the old from the old bourgeois pig is called the Fleur de Florence, and it uses what's called a Florence tea syrup, which is a proprietary tea blend. I suppose it's it, it winds up tasting kind of like hazelnut and cocoa, um, but has like really nice fall winter t- sort of spice element. And we just wound up doing a somewhat simple champagne cocktail with it, uh, and we use black walnut bitters, which adds this kind of like maple and walnut. The Fee Brothers, it. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's super maple heavy. Super maple heavy, yeah. And so then that comp- combined with sparkling wine, I always said that like what it winds up doing is uh, makes like halfway decent sparkling wine taste like awesome champagne when you put everything together. It, it winds up having all like the notes that you oh, yeah. expect so from it's a got, like, some of that nuttiness and like, yeah. like like a grower champagne. Cool. Yeah, it's like grower champagne. It's absolutely awesome. So um, we would do things like that. We we wound up using all sorts of tea syrups. We had a autumnal cranberry tea syrup. Uh, what else? Earl Grey, of course. Uh, we wound up doing a lot of infusions where we would do like hibiscus tea infused Lillet. Um, because because you can't add too many other modifying things other than maybe a syrup and, 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 and a citrus element, you have to you don't want to dilute what little proof you do have. So we wound up infusing a lot of things. Like we do a Lapsang Souchong infused uh, Amontillado Sherry. So Montiato sherry is, of course, like a drier style of sherry, but aged somewhat. So it has those oxidized notes and the nuttiness. When we infused it with, uh, with the um, Lapsang Souchong, it winds up being sort of scotch-like. 
So the oh, so we we did that with a we did that with a vermouth, and it winds up winds up being sort of like a Rob Roy, but like it's it's really interesting. That's very cool. Lower proof Rob Roy, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I, one of my favorite uh, tea pairings is cinnamon and uh, rooibos tea. Man, it's yeah. one of the best. Man, we we wound up of course like being fall winter appropriate. A lot of cinnamon, a lot of cinnamon syrup, yeah, of course. cinnamon bark syrups and stuff like that. And like clove and like all all we like did the it, winter yeah, spice. Yeah, we, we we wound up making kind of our own velvet for for learnum by doing like a cinnamon allspice. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So you were saying that one of those carried on over to the new menu. What's the, I mean, now moving on to the, the yeah. new bar, you've got a full liquor license. Yeah. So obviously you're going to be Thank rocking God. it out. <laughs> you're going to be rocking it out pretty, pretty like hardcore with the, the cocktails. Yeah. And it's in Carroll Gardens on Court Street. Yeah. Um, so a couple, a couple of things about the, about the new menu. Um, when when Robbie approached me and said, "Hey, are you interested in in coming on, becoming a partner in this bar?" and I was like, "Yeah, that sounds really cool." He's like, "We're gonna have a full liquor license, unlike the old one. What do you think you'd want to do?" And I said, "Well, you know, the old one is all French. It's all French wine, yeah. beer, spirit. Yeah, totally. All French wine and beer." So um, I was like, "Well, if we're expanding just beyond wine, why don't we expand beyond France?" But I kind of like working within some sort of limits. So I was like, why don't we do Europe? Of course, after like working with like just beer and, and uh, wine, <laughs> it's like you, you're used to working with the limits. Yeah, it, te- it teaches yeah. you to like work within, totally. to get creative. Like, yeah, you'd be surprised how creative you can get within like within I did. Limits. I did the uh, the tiki night with uh, Brian Miller on Monday, and our sponsor was Famous Grouse. So we did a lot of scotch tiki drinks. and uh, The grass told- kilt. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of my favorite drinks. Yeah. But yeah, working in those limitations, it's like. It's cool. Like, you can. You can really come out it with some forces cool you stuff. to get like creative. Absolutely. So, so I was like, yeah, why don't we do Europe? Let's focus on the kind of underutilized spirits of continental Europe, and then that kind of birthed another cool little thing within that. And I was like, easiest way to describe it is uh, this new concept is imagine tiki. We're talking about tiki, right? So, tiki in earnest starts in the 1930s but it really gets going in post-world war ii america sure and um you know that's that's when it had it's like it's real heyday and it was equal parts like you know escapism um and like faux polynesia exotica sure um and it was kind of harkening back in some ways to like the time that the gi spent during the war like in the south pacific Mm -hmm. not that they were really sipping mai tais in the south pacific when they were at war (laughs) but like there was still that like that exposure to that exoticness the same time though those gis were also being exposed to the exotic by re- like relative to middle america exotic locales of the mediterranean like italy normandy france and mm-hmm. you know all all, all 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 of continental europe during the war so i thought okay let's go back and let's imagine if you will that tiki wasn't about the exotic of the south pacific it was about the exotica of the mediterranean what ingredients would you mm-hmm. then use so I came up with this kind of like Mediterranean tiki concept as a part of it. And that's going to be a small part of the menu. I've got three or four drinks, like a, an Amaro uh, zombie. I've got a Spanish Mai Tai using like Cardinal Mendoza and Italian Aqua Vitae and um, hazelnut syrup. So it's kind of like taking the same ingredients, but then reimagining them a different way. And then carrying over what we learned from working with, uh, with wine and beer. One of the drinks, for instance, uh, that I've worked on with Jonathan Armstrong from the Franklin in Philadelphia. He's going to be working with us uh, two days a week at the new bar. Great. great. Awesome, dude. Um, so we came up with this drink. It's uh, three different cherries that you stir with two different vermouths that yields two ounces. You take those two ounces, <laughs> then you put it in your in your shaker tin, do uh, three quarters of an ounce of lime, half an ounce of, of simple. So you have like a triple, triple sherry-based uh, daiquiri, essentially. 
Oh, wow. But you stir the sherries together, the sherries and the vermouths first. So what you end up with is like a kind of low-proof daiquiri, and it's with an egg white. So it's like a low-proof but heavy body daiquiri, so it's light, and it's, a, it's totally crazy. And that's, that's in a way hearkening to what Tiki does with splitting like three rum bases. Yeah, of course, of course. So it's kind of like you know taking these like Mediterranean ingredients like sherries and vermouths and seeing what we can do with them in a Tiki sort of format. That's really cool. That's, so, uh, that's, I don't want to make that drink. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want to I I right? drink it, but I don't want to. Bartender's going to I don't, don't want to guess bartender there. Yeah. Um, oh, you will. It's too bad. Oh, sorry. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but that's really cool. And you, you mentioned Normandy. So are you going to do any kind of like uh, Calvados? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, we have, I have, I wrote this whole primer. Um, it's extremely irreverent. You know me, I swear a lot. So the, the, our whole bar manual is just it's true. Full of, swear, <laughs> full of swear words and veiled accusations. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, there's this whole section on brandies because it's, it's really interesting. I think even, even bartenders, even fairly good bartenders, we think of brandy and we go cognac and armagnac. Even, even if we touch armagnac, you know, that's like as far as we go. But there's a whole world of brandies and brandy-based things Eau out there. Vies, like, I, Eau de like Vies, exactly. So many cool things. Like, so, I, I, personally, I love using all of them. Man. Me that's too. I, and so, like, I mean, just to list off some of the things that are on our menu, we've got Calvados, Armagnac, Cognac, Ratafia de Bourgogne, Pomo, mm-hmm. Pinot de Charente, um, cool. Brandy, ah, Brandy, Brandy, that's killer. Brandy de Jerez, uh, Asbach Uralt, um, uh, Aquavite de Uva, which is mm-hmm. similar to Grappa, but it's made from actual grapes. So, I mean, we've got the whole gamut of anything. Yeah, Uwe, exactly. Yeah. Anything that has any sort of like brandy base. And you realize that there's a whole world of brandies out there, and they're all so different. And there's also, it's almost like mother sauces in France, where, like, Ratafia de Bourgogne is basically, like, the same thing as Pomo, which is basically the same thing as Pinot de Charente. It's just, like, they all do it in a different way. It's like they add, they do it with apples, but then they add some apple juice to the brandy. Or we do it from Burgundy grapes, and then we add some, like, Burgundy wine, and we add some Marc de Bourgogne to that. Marc is another one that we got on there, too. So it's cool. I mean... It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting because there's all these wild ingredients from all all over Europe, very brandy heavy, very like you know ingredients that people haven't seen a lot of, like Gilka. I've got a cut like a swizzle yeah. with, with Gilka on it, with Gilka in it. I've got uh, Kumul. Yeah, Kumul. Yeah, yeah Kumul Gilka. Um, I've got a I've got a cocktail with uh, Palinkovic in it, which is a nice. Cro- Croatian liqueur. Yeah. So trying to explore all these other European ingredients. But I'm also trying to, I'm also splitting the bases. So like, you know, our drink with Batavia Rack also has Buffalo Trace bourbon in it. So it's like, you know, I, the last thing I want to do is alienate anybody because it's still like a neighborhood bar. You'll still be able to get a shot. You'll still be able to get a beer. But if you want to explore some cool different things that haven't been done out there too much. I think that's, be that's on there too. totally okay. You know, I mean, like. It's a cool neighborhood. I mean, we've worked in, you worked in Carroll Gardens for four years I, now. I, absolutely, man. And, but, but I think with, like, not only just that neighborhood, but the city in general, it's like people want to learn more about it. And that's what we do. We, we're here to, like, educate and entertain, you know. And, like, I think that's really cool that you're using all these rare ingredients. That's totally up my alley, man. Cause yeah. <laughs> like, first thing I do when I look at any cocktail list is I, I look around for the, the weird oddball, the oddball ingredients stuff, yeah. like, or something I've never heard of. And I, that's the first drink I order, you know. Well, I mean, you're you're a big inspiration in that. Like, you know, I, the two years or so I spent working with you, like, I learned a lot about these different spirits. You, you know, you oh, thanks, have man. you haven't worked at Linnell's. Like, you taught me more about spirits. It's pretty much you and Nick Jarrett are like the top spirits, like knowledge wise, out there. So, yeah, I mean, huge inspiration there. Oh, thanks, man. 
Hey, um, speaking of the neighborhood, yeah, I know that there's uh, we've we've got a, a couple minutes left here. There was something that you were telling me. Is this still going to happen as far as like the late night thing? Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about it? Like, especially the bartenders that listen to the show are going to Absolutely. Love this. Um, so it's, there's, no, there's no secret. I'm, I, I love my fellow bartenders. I wanted to do something cool. Um, you know, in that neighborhood, we've got a, a bunch of really great bartenders that live there. You know, you've got Joaquin Simo, Phil Ward lives over there. Uh, Brian Miller. Brian yeah, Miller. The yeah, uh, Damon Bolte. Or, I mean, da- yeah, that, that <laughs> one. Uh, Damon Dyer. Damon yeah. Dyer's in there? Too. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, a bunch of cool people. And then there's a, just a huge amount of absolutely amazing bars. You've got Prime Meats, Clover Club, um, you know, Brooklyn Social, Henry Public. Um, all kinds of great bars, great bartenders all around, even like not cocktail bars, all kinds of cool people work and live down there. Yeah, Nick Coles. Yeah, Nick is awesome. Uh, What's up, Nick? Nick is awesome. Yeah. What's up, Nick? <laughs> so, um, of course, Nick is, like, Nick is like single-handedly like turning mini bar into a cocktail joint. Which is, yeah, totally I've noticed cool. that over the past few years. So, so uh, you know, one thing that I always remember, we'd get off from Prime Meats and we'd try to go to like Abilene's or something or Bar Great Harry and half the time they'd close at like one or two or something, which is cool. I because, get it. Yeah, because they were slow. And they're and- slow or whatever. So we're going to be open until 4 a.m. every single night from two to four at least, if not one to four. We're going to have a late night menu. So we've got food going till four and we're going to do a Fernet Bronca bottle service. That's awesome. So uh, it's going to be. You no, know I love that. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be three seventy fives of Fernet Branca. Um, so like the little half bottle, you get about sixteen ish small shots out of it, which is a pretty good amount. That's so you roll in with like four of your dudes after work. What, what are you going to drink? Yeah, right. You're just going to put a straw in it. So you come in, you get you get your little mini bottle of Fernet Branca, four pilsners, and it's like thirty five bucks. I, I I seem to recall a, a night when I was hanging out with Julian Brizzi from uh, from Rucola. Yeah. And what's up, Julian? Uh, what's up, just Julian? got married. He just got married. Congratulations to him. Um, he had brought back. He brought back uh, two, three seventy fives of uh, Fernet Branca from Argentina, and we were hanging out in his apartment, drinking them out of the bottle with koozies on them. That's awesome. had them in the like freezer. a beer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a beer. And so the, I mean, the other thing too is uh, I'm, I'm working on a uh, Campari three seventy fives, which should be coming at the end of the year. Nice. And the Campari will come out with a little soda. So you got like, you know, your Campari also, and soda bottle service. Chartreuse also comes in 375s. Indeed. Putting away an entire bottle of, I, I, although I did that once, I drank an entire pint of yellow chartreuse out of the bottle. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll do that too. We'll maybe. See. We'll see what happens. Man, it sounds awesome. And like everything that you're, you're, you've talked about today uh, on the show today has been really great. Um, I can't wait for my first opportunity to get to go hang out actually we're going over there we're going there tonight we're gonna go right? there now yeah, man. Yeah. let's go there now yeah let's go there now why not i got some cool. glass here with me let's hang out let's do it all right let's go hang out at the bourgeois pig <laughs> in and brooklyn what's the address uh 387 court street it's at a uh, court in first place court in first place yeah carol garns brooklyn and killer and also visit frank's other bar the drink the drink which is at 228 manhattan tons of fun and you're still a dram. Still a dram every Friday and Saturday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday this week. So I can't believe you even made it on the show today. I'm very <laughs> appreciative of that. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. It's been great to have you. It's my pleasure, man. Thank you. And uh, we'll be uh, heading over there right now. And uh, tune in next week. We'll have Nate DeMoss and Alan Katz from the New York Distilling Company in the Shanty. Until then, cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows 
shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is a message from Sea to Table. Can the fish come back to South Street? On December 18th, the New Amsterdam Market will pay homage to the Old Fulton Fish Market by including a special section dedicated to the fisheries of the Northeast and New England with Sea to Table. Sea to Table partners with fishermen in the recovering fisheries of the Northeast. Their transparent model, delivering fish direct from docks to chefs across America, supports the traditional fisheries that are crucial to the survival of our working waterfronts. For the first time, Sea to Table will join the market to offer fresh fish direct from independent Northeast fishermen. The collaboration of Sea to Table with New Amsterdam will take us back in time for a day to the era when fishmongers dominated Lower Manhattan. So stop by the New Amsterdam market at Peck Slip and South Street in Manhattan on December 18th and support your local fishermen and fisheries. For more information on Sea to Table, visit www.c to table.com that's c s e a the number 2 table.com yeah.